If, and if any of you are around in the late 80s, <laughs> I see quite a few of you. Uh, you you're familiar with a, a group called Millie Vanilli, right? Everyone knows about Millie Vanilli, right? Millie Vanilli, they just seemed like they came on the scene from nowhere. One minute you didn't hear about, you didn't even know who they were, and then the next minute, all you know is, girl, it's true. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I love you, right? And we see Millie Vanilli, they became one of the most popular groups in the late 80s. Uh, their album went platinum multiple times. Uh, they were just reaping up award after award. Um, people were just playing their song. As for me, I really didn't see myself playing their song. So I, didn't, I really wasn't driving in the hood playing Millie Vanilli. It was just something about playing Millie Vanilli for a guy. I don't know. It was just Maybe it's just me. But they were a popular group, and they had a catchy tune. Uh, even to this day, I find myself every now and then for some reason that that girl you know is true just pop in your head, and I'm like, man, where is that coming from? And so we we see that this group was very popular, and they they reaped reward after reward, but that all kind of came crashing down in the early '90s. It came crashing down because it was reported that Millie Vanilli were not actually those who were singing the songs. They were actually lip-syncing. So they were reaping the rewards for something that they really did not do. They were taking credit for something that they didn't earn. And so Millie Vanilli was, was doing things, and they were dancing, they were reaping a lot of rewards, while in the background, someone else was actually responsible for actually singing the songs. And so we see this taking place in Millie Vanilli, and, and I'm not sure how you felt about that scandal at that time. It may have depended on if you bought their album, you may have been like, man, I ain't gonna listen to this anymore, because I know it's not true. But however you feel about the scandal of Millie Vanilli, some of us may have looked at them and be like, you know, they're fake, they're phony, but even today we see amongst ourselves, we take credit ourselves. There's a scandal amongst ourselves when we take credit for things that God and God alone can do. We take credit for our own wisdom getting us jobs or our talent getting us jobs. Uh, we take credit for getting good grades on our school or, or schoolwork or whatever the case may be. We, we worked hard, we studied hard, we take credit for uh, a number of things in our lives. Take credit for our career promotions and the things that we, we earn or the things that we work for. And so we see this effort or this act of taking credit for those things that God has done through us is just as much as a scandal, if actually more so of a scandal, than Millie Vanilli taking credit for singing songs that they did not sing. Not only do we take credit for our achievements, our everyday achievements, whether that be at work or at home or in school, whether we want to admit it or not, there are times in which we take credit even for our own salvation. Truly, we know that we're saved by Jesus Christ, but many of us, I believe, seem to believe or think that our logic played into that salvation to some degree, as if logic and wisdom plus Jesus Christ saved us. 
And so we see this, uh, I think, taking place amongst us at times. And it was a similar situation in the city of Corinth. Uh, Christians who were bent on wisdom, they were really focused on wisdom. And we're going to look at, at 1 Corinthians as we continue our series, and we're going to see how Paul dealt with that particular situation of wisdom, looking at one's wisdom rather than looking at the power of God. So if you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look at the entire chapter. First Corinthians chapter two. Verse one. It reads, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of men except the man's spirit within him. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? May the Lord have a bless blessing upon the hearers and readers of his word. Amen. As we continue on with our series we see in the city of Corinth, Paul was faced uh, with a church that had cliques. There was some division going on that he speaks about in first, the first chapter. These cliques came about, these divisions existed uh, because of really an infatuation with wisdom, Greek philosophy. So some were saying, I follow Paul. Some were saying, I follow Apollos. Some were saying, I follow Cephas. And so they were creating divisions within the church and within the body. And Paul was speaking to the people at Corinth, talking to them about uh, this division. They, 
Paul had to remind them to think back about who they were when they first came to Christ. He had to remind them that it was God who saved them and that wisdom accounts for nothing, human wisdom accounts for nothing. He reminds them that there were no superstars amongst them at Corinth. They weren't even wise according to human standards, is what he says. And so he he talks to them and says that uh, you need to be focusing on Jesus Christ instead of on human wisdom. Looking at the wisdom of Paul, looking at the wisdom of Cephas, or looking at the wisdom of Apollos, he says that that's vain. Look at Jesus Christ. We see that Paul is continuing on in chapter 2, starting off with something in particular that he says in verse 30 of chapter 1. He says, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And then he goes on and he says, therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So he's saying, if you're going to do any boasting, if you're going to do any boasting in anyone's wisdom, you need to be boasting in God. You need to be boasting in Jesus Christ. And so he continues on in chapter 2, and, 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 and what Paul does in chapter 2, he kind of, he takes it to a whole nother level in chapter 2, and, and it's as if he starts boasting in the Holy Spirit as to say, this is who, or this is the reason why you need to be boasting in who God is and what God has done. And so chapter 2 is almost like a discourse about what the Holy Spirit has done and who the Holy Spirit is and why they are to be boasting in God as opposed to boasting in wisdom or boasting in men or boasting in other people. Now, we talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't get a lot of conversation a lot of times in Christian circles. We put a lot of emphasis on God the Father. We put a lot of emphasis on God the Son. But we don't get a lot of, put a lot of emphasis all the time on God, the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, each one God, unique, three persons, but yet fully God. And so we talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend some time focusing on the work of the Holy Spirit, because in this chapter, Paul puts great emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit and how the work of the Holy Spirit removes from us any effort in boasting not just boasting in our salvation, but boasting in anything. This passage should remind us that, well, we all are saved by grace, and it's no work of our own. It's no uh, wisdom that caused us to be saved. Giving credit to God allows us to live our lives in awe of God, which is our theme for this year, right? Living in awe of God. And so when we give credit to God, we live our life. We're living our life in all of God. And so through this message, give credit to God, credit is due. We will just see how awesome God is. The first thing we see in this passage in verses 1 through 5, the first thing we see is how awesome the power of the Holy Spirit is. That's the first thing that kind of stands out to us. And as we look at the Holy Spirit, I think sometimes there's a mystery here, but we're going to unravel that mystery here as we look at the power of the Holy Spirit. God's power, as Paul was talking about here in the first five verses, has power to save. What does, power, what does Paul say? He says, when I came to you, brothers, he said, I didn't come to you with any wisdom, any words that would try to persuade you. I didn't come to you with, with wisdom that would lead you to think, oh, this is something that I should believe in because he's a smart guy. 
he, he, he made it plain and he said, the only message I came to you with was the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you with Jesus Christ and him on the cross. So he says that we're saved, everyone is saved, whether it's the wise and the unwise, the rich and the poor, the doctor or the drug addict, all can be saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. We're not saved because it simply sounds logical. Because we, we, we've heard the gospel and we say, well, that, you know, that seems to, to work. The, the, the pieces seem to all fit together. That, that's not why you're saved or I'm saved. We're saved because of the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Because of the power of the gospel to save. No one knew the power to save better than Paul. We talk about Paul. Paul was one who was well-educated, a man who was brilliantly educated. It talks about how he was uh, trained by one who was honored more than by, by just about everyone, a teacher by the name of, of Gamaliel, a Pharisee. Paul himself was a Pharisee, meaning he knew the law front and back. He talks about it himself, saying, I, you know, if anyone was to boast, I can boast because I'm a Hebrew among Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm, a tri- I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul was an extremely brilliant man. Not only was Paul extremely brilliant, but prior to giving his life to Christ, he was what we would call a terrorist. If there was a terrorist watch list then, the Christians would have had Paul on that terrorist watch list. Because Paul, when he was Saul, was bent on persecuting Christians. He was faithful to the Jewish law. And Paul used to hate Christians, persecuted them, chasing them down. Even to the point that where, when he was saved in Acts chapter 9, we see that God talking to Ananias, and he says, You're gonna, I want you to go talk or go see Saul, who's on Straight Street. He's praying. And Ananias is like, wait a minute, I've heard the reports about this guy named Saul. He's actually persecuting Christians. So Paul had a reputation. He was known all around. But we see what happens when the power of God gets a hold of you. It just flips your whole world upside down and changes you from what you used to be to who God wants you to be. And so we see this taking place. He was, although he was well-educated, although he was very zealous in Jewish law, although he was uh, a, one who persecuted Christians, Paul was saved by the power of God. If anyone would have been seen as a lost cause, it would have been Paul when it comes to being saved. But we see that there is no lost cause when it comes to the power of God to save someone from their sins. Paul had to have been considered to be too wise to fall for this foolish following of Christians that were that was starting to come up. He could have been considered too zealous and too diligent in the Jewish law to fall for this foolishness that is being preached about Jesus Christ and him being crucified. He could have been too much of a Pharisee to say, I'm not, there's no way that Paul would fall for anything like following Christians. But we look sometime later, and Paul is the very one who was taken by God, by the power of God, and put on a different path. Nothing could do that but the power of God. 
And that same power that caused Paul to turn from his ways is the same exact power that works in everyone to turn and to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I like what, again, in in the first five verses, Paul talks about, he says, for this reason, because of the power of God, basically Paul said, I put no no, no, no effort, I put no, no profit in my wisdom or the elegant eloquence of speech because he says, I know that's, that's not what saves you. He says, so I came with something that can save you. I came with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I came with the good news. That is what I came with because my wisdom cannot save you. He starts out in verse 2, he says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, I resolved not to know anything about my education, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I resolved to know nothing about being caught up in the third heavens and to talk about these things because I I know Jesus Christ and him crucified. I resolved to know nothing about being taught by the famous teachers Gamaliel because I am going to talk to you about Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the power of God to say. That is what Paul said, I'm coming to you with. And so we see this taking place. This power saved Paul. And God demonstrated that power uh, through Paul. And Paul saying, this is the same power that I'm going to demonstrate before you, the Corinthians, through the power of the gospel. Paul also talks to them about uh, not just the power that saved him, but the power that saved them. Saying that, Again, none of you were necessarily wise. The Corinthians, he's like, again, there were no superstars amongst you. There were no one, in the, no one amongst you who, who were uh, descendants of a royal family like Prince William or anything like that. He's like, there, there were none of you like that here. He says that uh, you all were saved the same way that Paul was saved, the Corinthians were saved. And so we see that the gospel can reach the high and the gospel can reach the low. The gospel can reach the privileged. The gospel can reach the unprivileged. So we see the gospel is no respecter of people. And so we see Paul talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about the cross. Jesus, Paul starts talking about the life of Jesus Christ. You can't talk about the life of Jesus Christ without talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, I want to talk to you about the life of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ and him being born in a manger and him living a righteous life, a life without sin. He says, I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ, the one who lived a life, who came to heal people who were sick, who came to bring salvation to those who would put their trust in him. I came to talk to you about this Jesus Christ. And Paul talked about the cross, talked about Jesus Christ and him being hung on the cross. He says, I want to talk to you about that Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ that was in the grave for three days and and rose again. He says, that's the Jesus Christ I want to talk to you about. That is the power that Paul said, I'm going to preach to you about. And so we see that same power is able to save us and save anyone here today as well. You didn't choose God. God chose you. That's something that we need to understand. If we're going to give credit to God, the power of God in his Holy Spirit, if we're going to give credit to the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to come by us acknowledging that we did not choose God, God chose us. And because he chose us, you're sitting here with me right here today. Praise God, what a, what a great God we serve, that he would choose us when we were dust, when we were in sin, God chose us. 
We need to give credit, give credit to God, give credit to the power of the Holy Spirit for rescuing us. That's the one we need to give credit to, not credit to our wisdom or our, or our thinking. We're saved because of God's power and not our own wisdom. You are saved because God touched you and said, wake up, old sinner. That's why you're saved. That's why you're saved. The Holy Spirit is the one that opened your heart to receive God's grace and his mercy and his love. The Holy Spirit is responsible for that. That is the one who's responsible. If it was not for the Holy Spirit, you and I would still be sitting home right now talking about how foolish Christians are right now. If it was not for the Holy Spirit, you and I would be sitting at home right now talking about how wise we are not to follow crazy Christians and how they believe in a God or a God who, who came in the flesh and walked this life for 33 years and died on the cross for their sins. He said, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, you and I would not be here right now. We would be at home thinking about how foolish that message is. That same power is able to save and is available to anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. The one thing that we see in this passage that I love to see what Paul did here, uh, we see the power of the Holy Spirit reveals itself in the life of a believer by pointing to Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. I want to say that again. The power of the Holy Spirit reveals itself and demonstrates itself in the life of the believer by pointing, by pointing that person to Jesus Christ. And so that's what we see Paul doing, him pointing to Jesus Christ. That, exact, that is exactly what he did. He doesn't want people to be looking at his gifts or his talents. He doesn't want people to come before him and say, oh, he's such a, a great preacher. Or he, he can surely bring the word. Or he can, he can surely move the crowd. That's not what Paul was so bent on. Paul was like, that's nice, but that's not going to save you. And so Paul revealed that the Holy Spirit was working in him because the Holy Spirit is the one that points people to Jesus Christ. It's kind of like what John did when he saw Jesus Christ and the disciples come and John the Baptist was like, there's the Lamb of God. There he goes. The one who's with shoes I'm not even worthy to tie. That's the type of power that we're talking about. There's no greater way to give God credit than by pointing others to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no better way to give God credit, and that is the visible evidence of the Holy Spirit working in the, in the life of a believer. So when you, if you want to give God credit, uh, the Holy Spirit working in you will point you, point Jesus Christ, uh, point you to Jesus Christ. And so everything that you do, when you receive credit, you will say, no, nah, it's not me, it's God. And I'm not talking about that token stuff either. I'm talking about the real stuff. I'm talking about, yeah, this is real. If it wasn't for God, then I wouldn't be able to do what I do. If it wasn't for God's gift in me, then I wouldn't be able to, to do, the, do the things I do. I wouldn't be able to teach the way I teach. I wouldn't be able to work the way I work. I wouldn't be able to hold my patience or, or give patience when patience wasn't necessarily called for. I wouldn't be able to do some of the things I do if it was not for the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's what we see Paul doing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pointing others to Jesus Christ. Giving credit to God is especially important 
when, when we receive praise from other people for things that we do well. Giving credit to God is especially important when we receive praise, when we're, we're lifted up for doing things that are, that are honorable or that are good. It's important for us to point to Jesus Christ. One person that I've been reading about that I've come to admire more and more, uh, especially as a Christian, is the life uh, of the former slave George Washington Carver. Really respect, I, you know, George Washington Carver, really been just studying and reading some of his letters. Uh, George Washington Carver was, uh, was one who was born in the, the mid to late 1800s, and he, he was born into slavery. But he rose to be one of the most well-known and famous scientists this world ever knew. He was so famous that he had, you know, presidents who, were, who he was advising. He had Gandhi and uh, Joseph Stalin uh, sending him correspondence. Uh, so he was well-known. Even Henry Ford and Thomas Edison offered him a job because he was so good at what he did. If no one knows who George Washington Carver is, George Washington Carver is one who, who created uh, a lot of uh, usages or use or introduced 100 uses, uses for the peanuts, the soybeans, and, and the, the sweet potato and all these things. He created great, a lot of uses for those things. What he did and the works of, of George Washington Carver revolutionized the economy of the South. Turn it upside down. Now, the reason why I'm talking to you about George Washington Carver is because even when he was receiving a lot of praise and he was being honored among many people, his faith stood out because every moment he had, he pointed people to Jesus Christ. He didn't look to himself, but he, he pointed others to Jesus Christ, his works and all that he did. Uh, he did not take credit for himself, but he pointed to Jesus Christ. Here's a letter that he wrote in 1924 uh, to his friend, James T. Hardwick. And it says, my very dear friend, Mr. Hardwick, my friend, God has indeed been good to me and is yet opening up wonders and allowing me to peep in as it were. I do love the things God has created, both animate and inanimate. As he speaks aloud through both, God willing, at Blue Ridge, we will let him talk to some of us. You do me too much credit I am not so good. I am just trying through Christ to be a better man each day. Your spirit helps me so much. And so we see uh, George Washington Carver had tons of letters like these, where regardless of who he's speaking to, uh, Booker T. Washington, or whoever he's writing to, he is pointing others to Jesus Christ and how, Jesus, uh, and how God has worked in his life to enable him to accomplish what he accomplished. And so that's a lesson for us in when we receive credit or when we receive praise for doing things well, we would be wise to point others to God and say, this is God working in me. It's the power of God that enables me to do what I do. And so we give credit to God by pointing others to Christ and not ourselves. Not only do we see in this passage that we are to give credit to God for the power of the Holy Spirit, but we're to give credit to God for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We're to give credit to God for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Paul takes it up another level here because he, he builds up 
his case in verse six. He points to the message or he, he kind of uses verse six where he, he talks about we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So Paul starts out. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. That's going back really to verse 18 in chapter one, where Paul is talking about the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. And he, and he, and he picks up kind of on that topic right here and he says, although it seems foolish to those who are perishing, we do speak a message of wisdom. But then he goes on and he, and he talks about what this wisdom is like. Many of us today seem to be in a position that we should know all that God knows. If you and I can comprehend everything that God does, then he's not God. It'd be nice to know everything that maybe God does, but the moment you can understand and figure out every single thing that God does, then he's no longer God or you're worshiping a false God. And so a lot of people ask the question, why did God do this or why did God do that? Sometimes we just don't know why God does what he does, but we know that he's God and it's his prerogative to do what he wants to do. And so we see that Paul is, is speaking to that and, and, and answering to that and saying, look, it, the gospel may seem foolish to those who don't know Jesus Christ, but he's saying it is wisdom. Don't get it twisted. It is wisdom. Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9. Says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God speaking to the prophet Isaiah saying, my thoughts are so much higher than yours. My ways are so much higher than yours. So if we are going to understand anything, it's God's great wisdom and the wisdom that he gives us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see Paul talking about what type of wisdom this is. In verse 7, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God has designed for our glory before time began. Now, really, I really like this particular verse because what Paul says, he says, first of all, God's wisdom, everyone can't get it because it's a, it's a secret wisdom. It's a wisdom that was hidden. And he says it's a wisdom that only God can give. The secret wisdom that Paul is talking about is the wisdom of Jesus Christ and him crucified. The wisdom that he's talking about is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom that he's talking about. The wisdom that planned the, the, put a plan together for salvation through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. He says that's the secret wisdom that I'm talking about. No one but God could put together such an awesome plan of salvation. And to think of the way of salvation for saving sinners, but God. The awesome thing is, Paul says, this wisdom that has been hidden, God destined for our glory before time even began. So before there was a you, before your parents were here, before there was a Louisville, Kentucky, before there was the United States of America, before there was an Abraham, an Isaac, and a Jacob, before there was an Adam and an Eve, before there was an earth, before there was a solar system, before there was a Milky Way galaxy, God said, 
I destined this for your glory. Talk about wisdom. You can't even wrap your head around that. So God's plan of salvation was not an afterthought. It was a forethought. So the fall in the Garden of Eden was not, God's plan after that was not just his backup plan. It was not a contingency plan. That was God's plan all along to bring a plan of salvation before us. And I know sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our heads around, but it's when we look at the wisdom of God, that should bring us before his throne of grace and mercy with praise and with glory. It should cause us to humble ourselves and be like, who am I to come before a God so great as he is? But that he would choose you, that before you even had a name, God thought about saving you before there was even an earth. I can't even figure it out. So if anyone is questioning whether they're loved, then you should be looking at the love of God because who, could, who would orchestrate such a thing? Who could, who could bring a plan together such as that? And so know that God's wisdom is what saves us and that it's this, this is the wisdom that we are to be praising God for. This is the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 4 through 6 speaks of this uh, this secret wisdom some more. Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, it says, In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in, in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. So Paul speaking again to the church of Ephesus there saying that this mystery of Christ is that both Jew and Gentile would both be able to share in the glory of God and salvation. That God's salvation is no respecter of people, that regardless of who you are, or where you come from or what you've done, you can be saved. That's good news. That's the secret wisdom that Paul is kind of talking about and unraveling here. The military, the one thing that, you know, I say, the one thing that I was thinking about when, when looking at this is that it's kind of like the military. The military uh, has many secret weapons. They know something about secret weapons. Victory uh, may lie in a military's ability to come, to, get, to come up with a secret weapon to defeat the enemy. One of the things that we see the military using and that may surprise some people, the secret weapon that the military sometimes uses are dolphins. You would think, how can the military use dolphins as a secret weapon? Well, these dolphins, what they do, they're, because they're so intelligent and because they have such uh, great swimming capabilities and everything, uh, what they do is they train these dolphins uh, to do certain acts. They train because of their their uh, sonar capabilities. They can allow, these dolphins can be trained to warn about uh, mines that are in the water and things of that nature. And so we see dolphins were used in the Iraq war uh, as well, in the Persian Gulf War. They would send these dolphins out to uh, sweep the coastline to make sure there's no mines or, or to warn of certain mines that may be in the water. And so they use these dolphins and that's become the military's secret weapon that they've trained. 
when we think about this secret weapon, God has a secret weapon as well that he's used as well. And it's the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. He used Jesus Christ as the secret weapon to defeat Satan and to defeat sin. It's a secret weapon that many people just can't fathom and just can't understand or wrap their heads around it. Because Jesus Christ came with such humility. Because Jesus Christ came with grace. Many religious leaders were kind of like, this cannot be God the Son. This cannot be the the Messiah that was spoken of in the Old Testament. Because I know his father. His father was a carpenter. He grew up in Nazareth. As it says, nothing good comes from Nazareth. There are reports that he was born in a manger. This cannot be the Son of God. Not only that, we see that Jesus Christ is sitting down with sinners. Surely the King of Kings, the Messiah himself, would not be sitting down with sinners. And so many people missed the secret or the wisdom that God was, 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 was unfolding before them. And that's what Paul says because of this. He says in verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood it. They couldn't understand this wisdom. The Pharisees and the religious leaders were like, there is no way Jesus, the carpenter's son, can be the Messiah. There's no way. And so he says, because they couldn't understand it, they crucified the Lord of glory. But verse 9, verse 9, he says, however, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. What Paul was doing, he's going back to uh, paraphrasing an Old Testament passage in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. And, he, and it's as if he's going back to that passage and he's saying that th- in that particular passage, when it was spoken, there was not a full revelation of this secret wisdom that God was unfolding. And he's saying that in, in, in Isaiah, no eye can see, no, no ear is heard, no mind is can see what God is planning. No one knows what this plan is. But then he comes in verse Verse 10, but he says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. So this secret plan, this secret wisdom was revealed by God through his Holy Spirit. That's wisdom. That same wisdom is the wisdom that God gives each and every believer to turn from their sins and to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's that same wisdom that God uses to turn, that turned you from a life of sin to a life of pursuing Jesus Christ. It's that same wisdom that he used. That same wisdom that the Jews could not figure out. And so that's the reason why it's difficult. It's it's not just difficult, it's impossible for someone to exercise faith in Jesus Christ without the wisdom of the Holy Spirit coming into their life and causing them to understand the wisdom or the plan of salvation that God has put before us. God's word tells us that a person cannot come to put their faith in Jesus as a son of God with a mere human wisdom. So we got a lot of people who are trying to logically figure things out. I'll come to God, but first I got to try to figure out how this works. How did God do that? Or how did this work? I would come to Jesus Christ, but I need this one thing answered for me. And so logically, trying to use human wisdom to try to figure all these things out, instead of trusting in God, instead of putting their faith in what he's already done. God's word tells us that no one can come to him. 
with human wisdom. It's only that comes through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. One of the things, that's what Paul highlights in verse 6 when he says who this wisdom or this message of wisdom was spoken amongst. He says the mature. Who are the mature? The mature are the Christians, those who have put their faith in Christ. He's not talking about the mature as far as some being more mature in their faith than others. He's using mature in the context of this particular passage of speaking about the mature against those who are immature, those who don't know the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom that he's talking about. That's the maturity that he's talking about. So God's secret wisdom has been understood by those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter what your education or your reading level is. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have more wisdom than the person who has a Ph.D. in med school but doesn't put their faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, no, I can't be, right? Their IQ level's right here. Mine is right here. How could that be? Well, God's word, it tells us in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So where does wisdom begin? With the fear of the Lord. And so it doesn't matter, again, where you come from, where you've been, or what you've done. Uh, God is able to save because of his Holy Spirit. In verse 10, Paul picks up again, and he, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. Paul is saying that God has revealed it to us by his secret, he's revealed this, this, this to us through this secret wisdom to us by his Spirit. Who, who deserves the credit for knowing God's secret wisdom? Who deserves credit? God deserves credit for this secret wisdom. We can't take or boast in anything that God has done because we know, we, because we can't boast in anything we've done or because of our, in our own wisdom, because of what God is our own, God and God alone is, is able to do. So no one can boast. And that's what God, we see God doing in the plan of salvation. He orchestrates things to remove the element of boasting in our lives so that we can't go before others and boast and say, I'm in Jesus Christ, or I'm saved because of my wisdom, or because of my education level, or because I figured it out, or whatever the case may be. God removes that element from us, that element of boasting. And so we can come before God and we can praise God for the Holy Spirit's wisdom that enabled us to turn from our sins, that enable us to see the grace of Jesus Christ. So if I boast, I may boast about Jesus Christ. I may boast in God. Not only do we see that we are to give God credit for the power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, but finally we are to give God credit for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As that's what Paul kind of picks up on verses 11 through 16 where he says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. God didn't just give us the blessings of the Holy Spirit. He actually gives believers the presence of the Holy Spirit, a presence that can never be taken away. So wherever you go, God is with you. 
if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's not some temporary encounter, but it's an ongoing presence of God in the life of the believer. So from the day you accept Jesus Christ until the day you die, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is working in you and is existing in you. Ephesians 1, chapter 13, verse 4, chapter 1, uh, verses 13 through 14, highlights this as Paul, uh, again, talks about the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, he says, And you were, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Praise God. One of the things I, I, you see sticking out in there, he says that he did this. He gives you the seal. He gives the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are of God's possession, he says, for what? To the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is given to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ that we would praise God, that we would give glory to God and not ourselves, that we would point others to Jesus Christ and not our own wisdom or our own talents, that we would point others to who God is and less of who we are so that others would see how, how much of a work God has done in our lives and that we wouldn't boast in, in all the things that we've done. And so we see Paul just uh, going in, and he's talking about this, 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 this power or this wisdom of God. We see that this wisdom, this truth that God gives, comes because the Holy Spirit is indwelling in the, the life of the believers. We also see uh, where he goes on, uh, saying that we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. Because of the Holy Spirit, you and I understand what grace is. We understand what God has given to us in the, in the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. If it was not for the Holy Spirit, we would not be able to understand or come into a knowledge of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ we would not be able to come to understand how gracious God has been to us. And so if you find someone in, in life who has not responded or is not responding to the grace of God, I, I can pretty much say that it's because they don't have the Holy Spirit in their life, because they haven't come to understand the truth about Jesus Christ. And so we know a lot of people, if you're like me, you know many people who say that, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Have you heard that before? No, I don't do church, I'm spiritual. Or, or whatever the case may be. The next time somebody says that they're spiritual, you ask them, what does that mean? I mean, what does spiritual mean? Because a lot of people, that's kind of the end thing now, where people talk about being spiritual. Uh, and that taking them to a new level of something, I don't know. But if someone does not profess that they are spiritual because they have put their faith in Jesus Christ, and because of that they have been filled with the Holy Spirit, then they're not spiritual. They may have a spirit, everyone has a spirit because they're living, but they are not spiritual. 
And so the next time you come across someone like that, you can point them to this particular passage. Because what Paul says here, he says in verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them. Because they are what? They are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Who is spiritual? Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Unless you come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit is not working in you unless you have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unless you have become to understand the grace of, that God has shown you. Paul highlights the difference between the believer and the unbeliever in verse 14. And that should humble us as well when we're witnessing or evangelizing to someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. We can reflect back on the time when we did not know Jesus Christ before we responded to the grace of God. It should humble us because we should know that unless it was God's grace in our life, unless it was the power of God and the wisdom of God in our life, there we would be as well in sin. And so I should not expect for an unbeliever to respond in a way that, and to do things that only the Holy Spirit can do. And so when I'm witnessing to someone or if I'm evangelizing, the first thing I should be doing is to be praying before God that his Holy Spirit would impact their heart that the Holy Spirit would come in their life and would would open their eyes so that they may be able to see in their ears so that they would be able to hear. Because you can have all the knowledge you can want about the Bible. You can know it from Genesis to Revelations. You can know all the scripture verses. But unless God's Holy Spirit is working in the life of that believer, won't turn from their sin. And we know the Holy Spirit and God's word, the gospel, that's what's necessary. That is what's pow- the power of God for the salvation of those who don't know him. And so we preach the gospel as what Paul talked about in the early verses. And that's why he leaned just on the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. But he also says in the other verses that leading up to now is that the Holy Spirit is what enables that person to awaken from their sin and to come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. This should humble us and to prepare us as well, again, to witness and to be humbled, but to praise God for what he's done in our life. Because when I think about what God has done and and how you and I are here, not because of our wisdom, not because we figured it out. You may have grown up in a home where uh, it's, it's a Christian home, but it was God who allowed you to exercise your faith in Jesus Christ. It was not just by by circumstance or, 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 or just some happenstance of a situation. It was because God and his power saved you or called you to exercise faith in Jesus Christ. That is the power. That is the wisdom uh, that we're talking about, that Paul was talking about in this passage. We lead others to know Christ by boasting in his work and his work alone and what he has done in our lives. And we can boast in his power, we can boast in him because of the power of his Holy Spirit, because of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
I started the message out earlier talking about Millie Vanillian and what a scandal that was because they received credit for something that they didn't earn and they received rewards for, nothing, for something that they didn't do. But there's an even greater scandal, uh, and that is the scandal uh, is the grace of God. God's grace is truly scandalous because if, for all of us here who have exercised our faith in Jesus Christ, we're talking about a grace which uh, we have received a righteousness from Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive or get credit for his righteousness and for nothing that we've done, something that we couldn't earn. We receive the reward or we'll receive the reward for our salvation for something that we didn't earn. And that is, the, that is scandalous right there, the grace of God in our lives. So just like Millie Vanilli took credit for something that they didn't do, praise God for the grace of God in our lives that allowed us to become uh, a, a child of God, that allowed us to become a, king, a, a child of the king. And so it doesn't matter whether you, you, you go to Harvard or uh, the, the wisdom of the man is, is, is good enough to get you into Harvard and Yale but it's not good enough to get you into the family of God. The wisdom of this world might send a man to Mars, but it's not going to get a man into the kingdom of heaven. Only God and his power is able to do that. And that power comes through the work and the experience or the, the encounter of the Holy Spirit. And because we see this, because of God's grace that he has shown us, because we know what God has done in our lives, how much more credit should we give God? How much more should we live our life in humility because we know of what God has done in our life? And so that same power that saved you is able to save anyone here today. All this was done. God did all of this before time began because he loved you and because he loved me, because he loved each and every one of us. The best way a person can give credit to God is by giving their life to Jesus Christ. And I know that there's someone here who has not given their life to Jesus Christ. You have not responded to the grace of Jesus Christ. You have not responded to what he's done on the cross for you. Spending hours on the cross, agonizing in pain, but even more than that, receiving the wrath of God for the punishment of your sins. You have not responded to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave in three days so that you would have a life and have a new life. But now the opportunity exists for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. You feel the Holy Spirit may be moving in you. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Respond and give your life to Jesus Christ today. Uh, respond to his power. Respond to his wisdom. You never know when your last time or your last opportunity will be uh, to exercise faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God who art in heaven, we, Lord, are humbled by your power and by your wisdom and by all that you do, Lord God. Uh, truly, Father God, the, the plan of salvation, the way in which you, Lord God, have designed a plan to save sinners such as ourselves and sending the, your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, Lord God, when we deserved 
your punishment. We thank you, Father God, that you were patient with us for those times, Lord, in which we, before we gave our life to Jesus Christ, and even now, we thank you, Father God, for your grace that you extend to us and your wisdom, Father God, that you have revealed to us by way of the Holy Spirit. And Lord God, I pray that you would be glorified in the life of each and every believer here, that whether we're in the workplace or whether we're at home, whether we're at church serving, whether we're in the store, wherever the case may be, Lord God, when we receive uh, praise or when we receive honor for something, may we be quick to point to you and what you've done in our life. Knowing, Lord God, that you, the Jesus, Jesus Christ and the cross is the power of salvation for those who believe. Again, we thank you and we praise you, Father God, for this grace and this love that you've shown us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.